Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 124 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla. Yes. How you doing? I'm doing great. Got all of my yard work done. Oh, you got all of it done already? Yeah, so Sean uh-huh. planted all the flowers. Aww. So we got our hanging ones in the front and our back, and it all looks gorgeous and looks amazing, and he's so talented. And he mowed the lawn, Aww. and I weed whipped, Aww. and I uh, started pressure washing these chairs that we want to paint, and we put the bird feeders up. So basically, we are set for summer now. Holy shit, you are way ahead of me. <laughs> it was one of those things where it's like, you know, oh, and I got my, my favorite part, my hanging lights. Because I have those bulbs that then have a bunch of little LEDs wrapped up in them, and they're my favorite, like, porch accent of the summer. Yeah. It doesn't feel like summer until those are up, and those are up now. So it's officially summer, everybody. I've basically done nothing to the outside of my house. <laughs> I've been busy. Mostly I've been sick. Well, anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's just one of those things where the allergies especially kick in, and we don't feel like we want to do anything. But um, basically, Sean and I had a bug up our butt where we were finally like, no, we're just going to do it, and we knocked it all out. I love that for you. And it was great. I love that for you. How are you doing? Um, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Mafilla had his surgery on Thursday. Yeah. So I've really only left the house twice since. It is now Monday. Um, yeah, it was rough, rough at first. Well, understandably so. Yeah, apparently his body doesn't like the anesthesia. That's never pleasant. No, no. He had a really bad reaction to it. So, but he's doing good now. He's a he's a healing. And um, but yeah, if anyone wants to send Steve some healing vibes, uh, we will take all of the vibes. If you're witchy and got some good spells out there, you send those send them my way. Send them that way. Yep. Send them my way, please. Thank you. We don't ask for much. Just a little good vibes every once in a while. For real, though, yeah. And, you know, to like and follow and tell your friends and all that. Mm -hmm. Smash that like button. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Other various. Rate us. Rate us. uh, Write write good reviews. Don't be mean. Other other various uh, uh, cliches in the podcasting community. Yeah, yeah. Good vibes and everything else that podcasters say. Good. Wait. Good times and spooky vibes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, after our last ghost hunting app conversation in last week's episode. Oh, did you do some research? Yes. So, my story this week is actually a little shorter. Okay. Because I specifically looked some stuff up so we could talk about it. Okay. It, we... I thought it prompted a really good conversation. Yeah. Should we do an ad first, though? Might as well. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Let's crack into it. And we're back. And I'm really excited for this research you did. Yeah, because I thought about it. I still, like, stand by my statement, but I think this, you will find it very interesting. I think the listeners will find it very interesting. I found it very interesting. Okay, let's uh, crack into this as well, I guess. So, I've scoured for ghost hunting apps that have been listed as trustworthy or the best by different sites. And I tried to find articles that list some of the reasonings behind how they work. Oh, yeah. Because if you have, if you did not listen to last week's episode, which if you haven't, you should. It was a very good episode, if I do say so myself. Um, We kind of got into a little bit of a conversation about why the apps might be less trustworthy than like analog. Mm -hmm. And Brittany tends to lean towards more analog. And I, my thought process being... I don't know. I like the apps, the convenience and the ease of it. Yeah. But that prompted of like a how they work that I didn't know the answer to. Right. And so here's what we got. Okay. All right. Okay. So I had three main styles of apps and tried to kind of find some of the best ratings for those styles. Okay. Okay. Uh, The Ghost Tracker EMF EVP Recorder is said to be one of the most accurate and veteran-approved ghost hunting trackers out there. Is that what you have? No. I'll get to the one I have. This was just one of the best. Like, I started with the best from what I can find online. I mean, that's what you do. In an interview with Vice in 2018, K2 
Kim Johnston, a paranormal researcher from Birmingham, Alabama, said, I find that this app is useful because it's built by genuine researchers and not people who are just trying to have fun or make an app that's kind of a joke. Okay, yeah, because the app that's kind of a joke or just like for fun is what I had been like. So for this app to work, your phone slash tablet must have a built-in magnetometer and accelerometer sensor, and a magnometer is used for measuring magnetic forces. Okay. And plenty of phones have them. A good way to tell if your phone has one, does it have a compass app? I was going to say, yeah, it's probably what the compass uses. Yep. So they're located in different uh, areas depending on the phone, like a Samsung versus an Apple. They are located in different spots. But if you have a compass app built into the phone, your phone has a magnetometer. An accelerometer? Accelerometer. Accelerometer. (laughs) Basically, the accelerometer sensor measures constant slash gravity, time varying slash vibrations, and quasi-static slash tilt acceleration forces, which affect the device on three axes. Basically, in layman's terms, you know how some apps like Instagram, if you shake your phone, it asks you if you want to report a problem? Yeah. Or how your phone knows to change from portrait to landscape depending on how you hold it, or how if you play that heads-up game, when you flip the phone up for pass or down for correct... Like how the phone senses all of those movements, that's the accelerometer. Okay. So, this app, the Ghost Tractor EMF EVP recorder, is developed by Sweden's most popular paranormal investigation team, the Laxton Ghost Sweden. Laxton Ghost Sweden has 30 plus years of combined experience in the paranormal area and more than 100,000 subscribers on their YouTube channel. When developing the application, they wanted to select the three most useful basic functions used in a ghost hunt. So the EMF scanner, a motion detector, and an EVP slash voice recorder will help you easily detect EMF, motion, and EVP. With this tool, you have a greater chance to succeed on your ghost hunts without having to haul all of the equipment with you. Okay, that's... I'm picking up what you're putting down because all of that makes sense and there's actually a scientific reason that I know works for it because I know that the compass map obviously works. Yep. GPS, all of that. Okay, okay. So the EMF function uses the magnometer. Uh Uh-huh. The idea is that we are all surrounded by various electronical devices that create natural electromagnetic fields. Mm Mm-hmm. But EMF fields sometimes lack natural sources. That's when we were talking about how... You know, those types of sensor or those types of readers are not going to be as functional when you're surrounded by electronics. That's why you so, said we couldn't do it in here. Exactly. We're literally surrounded by everything electronic. And like when we did the ghost hunt with Billy's Bar, mm-hmm. they made it like the Duluth Paranormal Society made them turn off the Wi Fi, turn off everything that they could turn off while maintaining their security. Okay. So that's why they did that. So the motion detector requires the accelerometer. And so you can feel small bangs and vibrations in floors, stairs, chairs, tables. That's how they detect a lot of those stuffs during ghost hunts. Mm-hmm. With this app, they use the accelerometer to detect the vibrations for the motion detector portion. Okay. And then the EVP recorder tool just has the recorder. Yeah, the microphone. I mean, that's, that's basic. Okay. So they do put hardcore disclaimer in their app information. Measurements performed by this app are based 100% on data from sensors in your phone slash tablet. There are no false indications or sound effects. The results are completely dependent on the quality of your phone or tablet. We do not recommend replacing dedicated and much more expensive equipment with this app because that type of equipment has stronger sensors. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the results are not scientifically reviewed, we must write this, and you can hear Kim's voice in the back of your head. (laughs) This app should only be used for entertainment. But they pointed out specifically that they are not making out, like they put it in their disclaimer. They are not adding anything extra in here. This is completely and totally based off of your phone's sensors and their programming. 
All right. All right. Well, that app, I trust them. The Ghost Radar app, that's the one that I use, the one mm-hmm. I have on my phone, is known for being one of the most user-friendly ghost hunting apps. So this one is very, the one that I mentioned before, it's very... Uh, accurate? Accurate and very trusted by paranormal, like hunt, like paranormal investigators. Mm-hmm. But that's because they're not making it to be easy to use. They're making it to be used by people who know how to use it, Right. right. So the Ghost Radar app applies a lot of the same technology, but it is known because it specifically is trying to be one of the most easy-to-use apps. You can download it and just go. Mm -hmm. So the idea behind Ghost Radar is that it uses a radar on the screen to measure the quantum fluctuations in the surrounding areas to determine if there is an entity present. If one is detected, a green circle on the radar will pinpoint its location. In quantum physics, a quantum fluctuation is the temporary random change in the amount of energy in a point in space. So they are using the magnetometer Mm -hmm. to determine the fluctuations in the EMF readings. Also, I I just looked and my phone totally has that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. And their disclaimer is as follows. Ghost Radar is the original application designed to detect paranormal activity. Ghost Radar attempts to detect paranormal activity by making various readings on the device. Traditional paranormal equipment can be easily fooled when simple mundane bursts of normal activity occur. Ghost Radar sets itself apart by analyzing the readings and giving indications only when interesting patterns in the readings have been made. Ghost Radar includes the voice to let you know when interesting words have been detected based on the patterns. Please note we offer no guarantees of accuracies or warranties. Therefore, since the results from this application cannot be verified scientifically, hear it in Kim's voice... The app should be used for entertainment purposes. But it's using a lot of the same idea as that first very well-trusted one. Right. They're just saying that they have a voice bank that based on the readings from the magnetometer, that's how they determine where the the word is coming from when it detects a word. Okay. And so we have the, the all-encompassing one, the easy-to-use one, and then... The one that I found that was honestly a little bit better than the one that in the last story he mentioned he used. Uh-huh. Um, there is a free app known as the Sono X10 Spirit Ghost Box. And it is known as a great tool for both amateurs and professionals because it is a on-your-phone spirit box. So spirit boxes, like we kind of mentioned, are used to pick up on paranormal activity while scanning radio stations. It detects noises, audio, voices, and will only pause, not stop, on a given station to capture incoming messages, mainly in the form of phrases or sentences. Like an analog spirit box, with this app, you can control the sweeping speed from 100 ms to 150 ms with a single button. And the idea here being that they're, they're not changing really much of the analog version. It's just that it's on your phone. Okay. Um, Their disclaimer states, we want to explain how Sono X10 works, so we won't receive negative reviews from people thinking it's fake or not knowing how it works. Sono X10 is a spirit box that uses a voice bank. The standard voice bank is created by small bits of the American slash English alphabet, phenomes, and small cuts of speeches. No full sentences or words. When one of the mobile sensors is triggered, Then it creates a timestamp in the voice bank, which will then be heard if a sensor is triggered again. If the mobile receives more triggers, then it can put together small bits of audio from the sound bank to create full words or sentences. We believe that the paranormal is able to trigger some of the sensors in the mobile to make it make contact with us. That's part of why they, like when you hear paranormal investigators using apps or spirit boxes or anything, they say, this is what I have. If it looks strange, this is what it does. You can use this to communicate. Mm-hmm. They're trying to encourage spirits to use that as a tool. So in short, it is not the spirit's voice you hear, but the spirit can create words from the voice bank by manipulating the sensors. That's the whole idea behind Sono X10. This app will not work in other languages. It is uses English phenomes and an English alphabet. So if the spirit doesn't speak English. Good luck. Good luck. Um, finally, Necrophonic, the app that was used by that paranormal investigator, mm-hmm. kind of uses the same as the, sp- like, 
the Sono X10, but it's more, from what I can tell, a hobbyist type app. Um, Necrophonic is an ITC app used for spirit communications and EVP research. Other apps using this style are like Paravox, which was what was used when we were going through Billy's, mm-hmm. and uh, ITC Spirit Talk Communicator. These apps use sound banks. And then Necrophonic specifically uses eight sound banks, and it layers the audio to create an environment suitable for spirit communication. The audio itself is made up of phenomes, partial words, reverse audio, foreign languages, and then parts of speech, like phonetic sounds, like na, no, da, do, like like part words. Okay. And there are no real whole phrases contained in the banks. This app also has an optional ninth sound bank called White Noise, and that bank used alone or with the other eight gives you an additional chance for spirits to make sounds, is the idea. Um, The app contains echo and reverb audio effects, which is why when you listen to people that use those apps, it kind of sounds weird or Mm -hmm. like auto-tune-y, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And according to the app creator, these have been proven to be best effective to apply to the ITC sections because the echo can create audio that can be manipulated within the echo itself. Echo can also help in live real-time communication by repeating the audio and allowing you to better hear what's coming through. So that one though, when I was looking at the creator versus the other three, Mm -hmm. the creator, it looks more like a, like I said, a hobbyist, not created by actual investigators. It does sound the most. Hmm. And he did not. He's the only one that I found that did not include for entertainment purposes only. Interesting. Like all the other like professional ones included that because I think they don't want their. Right. They don't want any issues. Well, and they very specifically said that because the scientific data cannot be officially like confirmed. Yep. And he's just like, no, here you go. So going back to then your story from last week, I was correct in being like, I don't really know about his whole thing using that app. Now, I don't want to completely write it off. Just because he's a hobbyist does not mean that it's not in some, like the logic behind it isn't effective. I just don't think it's as effective as these other ones. I agree. I do feel, after doing this research, way more secure in my... Your app. My app that I used when we were going, when we were accidentally going through like the Donner party area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, yep. But, and I just, cause I also don't want to disparage an app. Like, I don't want to say it's like hokey or anything, but right. it is of the ones I found now of those ITC applications. It sounds like that one and Paravox are the ones people maybe use the most. Oh, that kind of sucks though. It's like the, like, okay, so not all apps are created equal Yep, is basically what we're saying. And it does suck a little bit that the ones that are a little less authenticated oh, I mean are the, the ones that are the most popular. I mean of the ITC apps, not of apps altogether. Okay. Just of that specific type. So this was one of the more popular of the ITC style apps of just like the echoing voices back to you. Because mm. they don't claim to have any like EMF readings or anything like that. It's just ITC communication. See, and I thought for sure that the echo effect was just to try and make it seem spooky. Oh, I'm sure that helps the situation. Yeah, let's just make it extra spooky and give it a little reverb. So there it is. I'm Four a- apps and the logic behind them. And I think that after looking this up, I maintain that I can't trust or mistrust these any more than standard ghost hunting equipment. Reasons to think they work or don't work exist in either style. I still say it's harder to fool the analog, but like the first two that you talked about, like, of course. Yeah. Like, I, I find those just as trustworthy as the analog. I just, but think, it, I just think it's funny only because. It can't be programmed. Because I know you as a person. Uh-huh. And I'm just like. You're also the person who's like, I like listening to things on vinyl. <laughs> I don't want it on Spotify. Give it to me on vinyl. <laughs> like, so I think this is essentially like who we are as people. I'm like, give me the convenience. You're like, give me the analog. I, you know, okay. <laughs> 
things just do sound better on vinyl. <laughs> but not everything, but a lot of things. I think that plays into our answers a little bit, though. No, I'm talking about the scientific application of these, Kayla. <laughs> All right, now that I got that out of the way, are you ready for my story this week? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not dis- I'm not disagreeing with you. I just think that it'd be very interesting to see who believes about like what we we're talking about. Like who sides with me and who sides with you? And then I want to know who listens to like vinyl and tape decks and then who listens to MP3s based on how like their agreement versus what they like to listen to preferred method of listening maybe there's a whole new thing we can un- unravel here all right you let us know you comment on this facebook post and you let us know your thoughts like what do you believe and then how do you listen to your music yeah let's <laughs> see if there's a correlation we'll be social scientists about this yeah we'll uh what, what do they call it conduct field research yeah we can conduct some field research there you go so, that was a little bit of callback to last week. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to call it way back. Okay. I'm going to dig a bit deeper into a cryptid we covered long ago. Okay. A long, long time ago in, in a, a galaxy, galaxy far, far away. Far away, away. Yeah. <laughs> back when we were young, fresh-faced podcasters who didn't know our ass from our elbows. Back in episode seven, released oh. March 10th of 2021, if you'll believe that. Oh my God, I bet that sounded awful. (laughs) I covered the fearsome critters. Yeah. These are cryptids that are said to inhabit the wilderness in or around logging camps, especially the Great Lakes region, which is part of why we covered it, because back then we were super focused on Midwest. Yeah, we only did the Midwest, except for when I went outside of the Midwest, because I'm a rebel. Rebel without a cause, baby. That's me. There are a bunch of fearsome critters, from lesser-known ones like the ball-tailed cat and the agro-pelter mm-hmm. to more famous ones like the jackalope. But I'd say one of the most famous fearsome critters of all, at least here in the Minnesota-Wisconsin area, is the hodag. I, w- I thought for sure you were going to say the hide-behind. I want to cover I I just need you more You love story. the hodag. I, I love the hodag, and I love the hide-behind. I don't was a toss-up, but I finally was like, you know, we're going to go hodag. Hodag. You just want to be able to say hodag. Hodag. Who dad? Who dad? I said who dad? Hodag. Hodag. <laughs> anyway, hashtag fun fact. Rhinelander, Wisconsin is known as the home of the hodag. What? It is their high school mascot. What? Yep. So Rhinelander is actually the centered area of this story. Okay. The hodag has been rumored to terrorize the pine forests of northern Wisconsin for well over a hundred years. According to the Fearsome Critters book by folklorist Charles E. Brown, the hodag was first reported in Maine many years past, but it was also first captured and positively identified in 1895 near Rhinelander, Wisconsin, by a Mr. Eugene S. Shepard. Oh. When he first spotted it, he tried to capture it and failed. According to Shepard, it tore apart the hunting dogs he and his friends tried to use to corner it. What? And so they shot at the hodag with heavy rifles and large bore squirt guns loaded with poisonous water. I remember that. Yep. But to no avail. Finally, after hours of struggle, what do you do when you fail to catch an, uh, an animal? Do you remember? I don't know if you remember. I don't know. I remember having a, a deep conversation about whether or not there were squirt guns in the 1800s. Yep. But when you can't, when squirt guns don't work, you blow it up with dynamite. Obviously. That's right. I forgot about the dynamite. And so they killed that hodag with the dynamite. His second attempt was more successful. He was able to track down a hodag and he had a backup crew of lumberjacks. And according to legend, he managed to corner the hodag in its den and knocked it out with a chloroform sponge on a pole. God. Okay. Hot on the heels of this capture was the Oneida County Fair. I believe it's Oneida. I'm a. I'm not a Scani. Is it one IDA? Yep. Oneida. Okay. The Oneida County Fair. And Shepard decided to capitalize on this opportunity. He set the creature in the back of a dimly lit tent and offered the crowds a chance to see it for themselves for the bargain of a dime for a look. Wait, I'm sorry. 
Was it in a cage? Yes. Okay. I was like, chloroform doesn't last that long. <laughs> and this thing just ripped apart nine of your hunting dogs or something like that. So because it's relevant here, a dime in 1895 in today's money is worth $3.61 today. So people were Still offered reasonable. a chance to peek at the cryptid for four bucks a piece. All right. Yeah. All right. Steal of a deal. I'd still do it. Yeah. Yeah. He would then quickly hustle people in and out of the tent for their own safety, as he told them. Uh, yeah. People were enticed by claiming it was the chance to see a terrible brute of an animal with the strength of an ox, the ferocity of a bear, the cunning of a fox. It's all the standard things that people shout at you, like car- like carnival people shout at you. Yeah, you yeah, know. get you interested. Yep, and you'll, it worked. You'll never see something like this again. <laughs> the captured hodag provided the most popular attraction at the fair that year. After the fair, Shepard quit his job as a timber cruiser. Timber cruising is uh, like measuring forests and giving the value so that you can tell people, like, if you buy this land, this is all the woods in it. This is the money you could get for this land if you chop it all down. I kind of assumed that a timber cruiser was a person who, like, ran the logs, like, down the river to move them. Which is what I thought, too. Which is why I made the disclaimer of what a timber cruiser is. Okay. But we're, that's, I mean, that's what it should be. Yep. So a timber cruise, they measure the forest, determine, like, average tree size, volume, quality, so they can appraise it for timber sales. Okay. Headlines about the hodag spread across the country. Shepard could see opportunity knocking in the form of a spike-tailed, ugly little creature. Yeah. And he took it. Because the timber boom was about to bust. They saw it coming. Like, they had been selling all this land and fucking clear-cutting it. There was not much to do there. If anyone knows how many timber logs exist, it's going to be a timber cruiser. Exactly. So, um... The number of Wisconsin's white pines were dwindling. Thousands of lumberjacks mowed them down. It was, he knew something was going to have to change. So he decided he was done with that life mm-hmm. and took up one as a real estate broker and spent the rest of his life promoting Rhinelander and the Hodag that had made it famous. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me he was going to like go on the road like P.T. Barnum. No, he was buying clear-cut land in the area and he was selling it to developers with the idea of like, we have this thing this is an up-and-coming area by this land. So he'd buy it for cheap. He was flipping land, basically. Um, what a little uh, capitalist. The key to keeping Rhinelander alive and vibrant, he believed, was to put it front and center at the attention of people looking to start anew, build businesses, and help development. Which was a smart move because, as we know, people are curious and they were drawn to Rhinelander because it had a monster. Which seems the opposite of what they should be doing. This thing can rip apart dogs. <laughs> so what about the Hodag made it a monster? Uh, well, can rip apart dogs. But, but, but so could a bear. Like what makes this different from any of the other creatures that roam the northern woods? People are afraid of what they don't understand. Well, first of all, as the Fearsome Creatures folklore book puts it, the Hodag is undoubtedly one of the best known of the larger and more dangerous wood varmints. A distressingly ugly animal, (laughs) the novelty-headed wears a pair of prominent, bulging eyes and two heavy lateral horns, something after the fashion of a male stag beetle. The claws are stout and powerful. The tail carries a terminal hook, while a row of jagged stegosaurian dorsal spines complete the picture. The smaller front teeth were formerly often used for umbrella handles. The Hodag is fully aware of his upsetting appearance and is given to frequent fits of bitter weeping. This fellow can't endure being laughed at. When angry, he is fierce and dangerously aggressive. Okay, it's all coming back to me now. It's yep. all coming back. He, he was so ugly and that he cried about it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> there were a couple of creatures in that book that cried, though. Well, that's true. But there was this another one... Like, one that lived in the swamps or something. Yeah, there were a couple that no knew, like, they were sad for different reasons. But this was the one <laughs> that, like, if he cried and you laughed at him, shit was going to go down. Don't you laugh at me. Brown said that the hodag never laid down. 
It slept leaning against trunks of trees. It could only be captured by cutting deeply into the trunks of its favorite trees. And it was said to eat mud turtles, water snakes, and muskrats. And it did not disdain from human flesh, though. I'm sorry. I thought that he captured it with chloroform on a sponge. He did. Didn't you just say that it could only be captured? That was what the folklorist said. Oh, okay. That's, which is different than how Shepard said he captured it. Okay. Shepard alleged that it ate white bulldogs and later said it ate white bulldogs on Sundays. Personally, I'd be more inclined to believe the turtle snakes and muskrat bit because those are a lot more common in Wisconsin woods. Than white bulldogs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just because it, eat, it has eaten white bulldogs in the past, I wouldn't assume that was its main diet. <laughs> so where does this creature come from? Hodags are said to arise from the cremated remains of oxen. Because they kind of look like oxen, don't they? A little bit, yeah. Like but also stubby a, little oxen. A stegosaurus. Stag beetle thing. Be- beautiful. <laughs> so oxen, th- th- we think this theory comes from the fact that oxen were commonly used as work animals at timber camps. Oh, okay. So they had really demanding lives. Mm-hmm. Quote, not only were these beasts of burden assigned to the most difficult tasks of the trade, but they also endured all the profanity and crass lumberjacks could dish out. And this was according to historian Hurt Korthoff. The belief was that the oxen absorbed all the terrible profanity that existed at lumberjack camps. I imagine it is on par, if not worse than, a shop full of technicians or the back of the house at a restaurant. I can only imagine. Yep. Because they'd be filthy back there. <laughs> Back of house, always worse than front of house. Always, always. always. Got to make sure there's a good... That's why they play music in restaurants, so you can't hear the cooks. Oh, absolutely. That was not a fact. That but was it, just a statement. Yeah, I mean, it's... Even if it's not a fact, it is a fact of that those of us have worked in any of these industries know. Yeah. You don't want to... You don't want to hear what the, is going on back there. <laughs> that's why there's a front of house. So, because of all that grotiness, the demons that sprang from these fallen oxen were vile and vengeful souls. Mm, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because of all the swearing. Yep, exactly. All right. So, while Shepard wasn't the first to bring forward the hodag, his ability to string a tail helped him build the beast's legend. Yeah. You'll be hard-pressed to find a real-life hodag anymore, and there are a couple theories as to why. All right. One theory states that most, if not all of them, died out when the last of the all-white bulldogs left the area. Again with the bulldog things. Because he had no food left. Dude, bulldogs are not native to, like, the woods in Wisconsin. And specifically all-white ones. Yeah. I don't know where this this was a thing, but okay. <laughs> With the fucking bulldogs. I mean, uh, our the Duluth mascot is the bulldogs. Yeah. Is that relevant? Is there a secret like Midwest bulldog relationship I'm unaware of? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Research for next episode, <laughs> Kayla. Um, another theory states that they are extremely rare because of the increased use of lemons and citrus fruit for cooking. I don't know if you remember this. I definitely brought this up in the first episode that we did. Mm, I don't remember. Quote, For hodags and citrus fruits are the same ratio as wolves to wolfbane, probably more so. Unquote. Fearsome Critters book alleges that a pair of lemons is ample protection against a whole herd, and the author shared a story to that effect. Quote, I once had a handful of the extremely rare crystallized hodag tears, but an acquisitive lady friend collected them, believing them to be fine amber. She then strung them onto a neck yoke and then went and spilled a Tom Collins on herself. <laughs> of course, the lemon juice dissolved them instantly, unquote. I don't remember that, but all right. So, yeah. All right. If you're going to get sloppy drunk in a dr- with, with your drink has citrus in it, don't be wearing no hodag tears. Because, uh, <clears throat> <laughs> Don't get sloppy drunk with hodag tears, basically. This week's episode title. <laughs> Eventually, Shepard admitted that his hodag was a hoax. What? No. He and a friend sculpted the beast like a puppet. With wood and oxides. And so he had a tanner. His friend had a tannery. Uh-huh. 
And so they used not just hides, but like not properly cured hides specifically so it would smell bad because the hoed eggs are known to smell bad. They wanted to give it that wild animal smell. Well, also it probably encouraged people to just sort of, you know, step back. Exactly. So they left them smelly to really sell the experience. Oh, God. Shepard's sons were brought in on it and they moved the creature with wires, making growling and hissing noises, hence the back of the dimly lit tent. Mm. So you couldn't see the wires. Mm -hmm. This revelation did not make people stop wanting to see it. They're like, I want to see the fucking weird hodag puppet. And he still got $4 a piece for Appar- it? Apparently. Uh-huh. Oh, I mean, he's a, he's a good businessman. Lenwood Sharp, a folklorist, doesn't call Shepard a con artist, which a lot of places are like to do. Uh-huh. A con, Sharp argues, requires an intention to deceive. And he says that Shepard's hodag was always presented with like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, I'm not, I'm trying to get people's attention, but I'm not making them, like, I'm giving them every opportunity to see that it's fake. Mm Mm-hmm. Because of the era, and because the hodag was part of the lumber camp lore, lots of public understood it as a tall tale, an exaggeration or a fiction, and Shepard was honest about the story when asked, Sharp said. And most people saw the hodag as a parody. Yeah, I mean, but the hodag was... Conceived during a time of heavy inquiry. Mm-hmm. So the idea being that all these unknown animals were being discovered as people were entering these woods that they hadn't gone deep into before. Right. So for someone living in a big city like Philadelphia or, you know, any of these far off East Coast cities that do not have the same woodlands mm-hmm. and they don't get exposed to the woods a lot anyway. Right. It was it was a it was a possibility that they're like, "Oh, look at this new space. Look at we've had heard of all these other new creatures which are real. Why can't Why this can't be the hodag be real? Especially because after I mean it smells real. <laughs> because after Sharp made all like this discovery and put it in the fair and everything, uh-huh. he, they published an article that got picked up by other papers, bigger papers. Oh, so that people would travel to come see it. He was, a, he, he was like, working it. You know what I mean? Um, hashtag not fun fact. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, on that kind of note, according to the Wausau Daily Herald, the memories of Shepard as a person that are most remembered today revolve around his, like, outgoing, funny, and inventive personality. But like most stories of white men of the past, this is a severely glossed over image. Mm. He was He was inventive. People did know him to be funny, but he was also a heavy drinker, took his pranks too far, and treated his wives and children like shit. So. So we're not going to be hero-worshipping this shepherd guy. No, but he, he, he strung a good tale, but he was also. A dick. A dick, yep. The town continues to recognize the hodag's unusual appeal, sparing no opportunity to hype up the fanged creature. Hodag banners flutter from street poles downtown. The local candy store sells hodag poop. Uh, at least six statues and billboards of hodags can be spotted along the main roads. One with cowboy boots and a guitar outside a gas station. Okay. Oh, because is, is, is he a hoedown hodag? Hoedown hodag. <laughs> um, on a pedestal in front of a real estate agency, there is a hodag. Um, there's another one atop of Judy's hodag bar. The Rhinelander Chamber of Commerce, still at the forefront of its monster marketing, has unveiled its own copyrighted and trademarked hodag statue <gasps> on the front lawn of its building. You can also go to Rhinelander and glimpse less evolved hodags of yore. Basically, it's they've, they've got this Rhinelander logging museum, and it uh-huh. sells a selection of hodag souvenirs and keeps two prime hodags on display, a life-size replica in a glass case from 1951, and a smaller, furrier hodag up near the rafters, which shows the promise and limitation of modern monster taxidermy. <laughs> um, in popular culture, the hodag was featured in an episode of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated called The Hodag of Horror. Okay. Um, there is a film called Backwoods Bloodbath from 2007, and it's an old-school gore horror about a hodag haunting the northern woods of Oneida County in Wisconsin. So, we might be 
tempted at this point, right, to claim Nernas. Right. I do think we should point out for historical context in other cultures, mm-hmm. some have said that this fearsome critter is a ripoff, whitewashed version of the underwater panther known as Mishapishu in Ojibwe. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I'm kind of remembering this. Indigenous legends of several tribes from the area describe it as having the head and paws of a giant cat, but covered in scales with thick spikes running along its back and tail. Um, There is a documentation that was published in 1899 from a missionary named Claude Davlon um, about four Ojibwe people who had a encounter with the creature. As we know, white people love to take other cultures' legends and bend it to fit what they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, PBS has a short documentary called History of the Hodag that talks about the similarities and differences between the two legends. Yeah. So even if we claim the Hodag is Nernas, there are other cultures that might view it differently. Something to be aware of. Not saying the Hodag in general, but there's stuff that it's based off of, and this might just be a whitewashed version of a real legend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shepard's hodag may not have been real, but who knows? Perhaps the hodag is still hiding somewhere in the woods, waiting for the right person to come walking by on a Sunday with with a a white bulldog. bulldog. (laughs) If you see one or smell one, you should uh, make sure to turn around and go the opposite direction, or at least make sure while you're on your hikes to keep some lemons on you. Not so spooky this spooky Wednesday. It was more fun. I just No, I love that. (laughs) I realized there was more to the hodag than I could have possibly covered in that Fearsome Critters episode, and I wanted to go deeper into it. I like the hoedown hodag. Hoedown hodag. Um, I I love that how much Rylander Wisconsin has just like really taken that and they're like, no, this is ours. (laughs) Um oh yeah, you gotta give the spiel. So on a scale. Wait, so on a skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, what are you going to give the hodag? As a specific animal, the hodag, I'm going to give it a one. As a concept of a hodag-like creature, I'm going to give it a four. I could see that. The hodag itself, I'm going nernas. That's what I meant. I know that's what you meant. No rating necessary, normal ass shit. I was just proud that I, I remember that. I don't know that. if I would call it normal ass shit, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, con ass shit, even if they claim it's not a con. It I don't know. Like Charging somebody four bucks a pop to get in. Yeah. That's a bit of a con. And if he's kind of a dick anyway, I don't know if I would just like agree that, oh no, he totally was like wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Yeah. Uh, but as a concept, I would have gone three. I've, 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 there's so many creatures out there, you don't even know. Right. And, you know, indigenous folks have been here significantly longer than we have. If, if it really is something that, now mind you, I have no idea. I have not read the lore. Yep. Um, I have not talked to any indigenous folks about a hodag like creature. But, I mean, if they have something in their legends that describes an animal that loosely, translates to the hodag, I'm more likely to believe that at one point in time, such an animal might have existed. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. All right, what do you got for me this week? Well, I got part two. I was going to say, because I have been waiting. I have been waiting. Because like, because we had the ridges last week. But you were saying there was another haunted location. Oh, girl. You So you were saying there was another haunted location on the same campus, and then you just rack-jacked me and stopped and said I had to wait till next week. It's like cock-blocked. Oh. But I do not have a penis. Oh. So I got rack-jacked. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, so last week I told you a brief history of Ohio University and a general layout of the Athens-Ohio campus. And then I went into the history of the ridges, which was the previous, uh, which was previously the Athens Lunatic Asylum. Lovely wording. Yeah. Uh, which was then purchased by Ohio University and then to be converted to admin offices, classrooms, and art museums. Haunted admin offices, classrooms, and art <laughs> museums. But as I said at the end of last week's episode, the ridges are not the only part of the Athens campus that are said to be haunted. 
Coulter Hall, the oldest of the college's buildings and one of the main buildings surrounding the college green, was built in 1816 and can be identified by the white clock tower found in the center of its roof, the clock having been a gift from the class of 1914. Wow. I know. They all got together. Apparently, freshly colleged folks had a lot more money back then. (laughs) Over the years, the building has had many uses, such as a dormitory, a classroom building, laboratory, library, and museum, and now houses the offices of the president, the provost, and other senior administration offices, as well as a ghost. Hell yeah. But just one. Just one? Uh, Yeah. Who appears to remain only in the clock tower. Allegedly, the scariest thing that this ghost would do is change the time on the clock. Okay, but if it's a clock people rely on, that's really annoying. Yeah, perhaps making you late or early for class. Um, And for nearly 130 years, the clock would signal at both 8 a.m. as well as noon. So if you had an 8 a.m. class, but it didn't go off until, I don't know, 8.30, you'd be like, oh, I'm only sort of late. Especially in an era where, like, we now have a a computer in our pockets. Yeah, we we can look at the time any given minute. Yeah. But that would be very inconvenient, especially if you didn't have a wristwatch. If you were like, yeah, no, I don't need a wristwatch. There's that clock up there all the time. Yeah, but it's always off. Uh, Some folks claim that maybe it was just broken. (laughs) Yeah. Too simple, I don't like that. Other folks claim it was a ghost. Uh, Though its original design of being hand-rung has since been replaced by chimes operated by tape. It's a tape, though I feel like it's probably digital now. No more analog. (laughs) I don't Uh, care. That's not the way bells are meant to be heard. Bells are meant to be heard. Analog. Analog. (laughs) They now, at 8 a.m. and noon, will play Alma Mater, Ohio. Uh, And I'm not sure if this is an automated system. The alleged ghost is no longer messing with the clock or if it continues its tomfoolery to this day. I have no idea. All right. All right. Next to the college green sits the Brown House, which now houses the Contemporary History Institute. The legend of the Brown House has a tie-in to one of Ohio's most famous alumni. Alumnus? Most famous. Alumnus. Alum. 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 Alum? Because alumni, isn't that the plural? Yeah. And alumnus is the singular? That sounds right. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. So the Brown House was donated to OU by longtime Athens resident Millie Brown. And the story goes that she loved to watch the children of Athens play outside of her window. After her death, this is where she is said to have taken up her post, having been seen sitting at her window looking at the passerbys. Passersby. Yeah. Uh, One of the students that allegedly had uh, seen old Millie Brown is actor Paul Newman. Though apparently at the time, he didn't know that she had already passed. Paul Newman. The salad dressing guy? I believe so. He went to this college. He was an actor? Yeah. Isn't isn't that how he got famous for the salad dressing? I don't know. I just know there's a face on some salad dressing. (laughs) He's got some really good balsamic. I'm just saying. (laughs) Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul Leonard Newman was an actor film director, race car driver, philanthropist, and entrepreneur, including creating a line of salad dressings. All right, more power to him. Got to get that lettuce. (laughs) (laughs) Kayla. (laughs) Hi. I'll be here all week. So Paul Newman was an alumnus, alumni, one of the alumni... Alum. Yeah, so he used to go to this college, and he actually saw old Millie, old Millie Brown herself, but at the time, he didn't realize, I think at the time, she might have just passed, and he didn't realize that, but he definitely saw her in the window. Okay. At the east end of the campus, you will find 12 residence halls and some of the oldest residential buildings on campus. One of them being Jefferson Hall, which was built in 1956 and named in honor of the U.S.'s third president, Thomas Jefferson. According to local lore, a group of students were exploring the attic of Jefferson Hall in the mid-90s 
when they came across a woman dressed in 1950s-style clothing sitting at a desk in an unused room. <coughs> mm, I have something in my throat. A demon, apparently. Um, they attempted to talk to her until they realized when they got closer that she was actually transparent. Oh, what a weird realization to come to. Yeah, and she was also floating. Oh, of course, because yeah. why not? Yeah, after this revelation, the students uh, went running to find an RA because the RA is going to be able to do something <laughs> about it. Who, oh, man. Oh, God. That's not allowed in the dorms. You gotta- yeah, there's a ghost in there. I don't think they're allowed. Uh, who then returned to the attic with them only to discover that the room was both locked as well as empty. After this, the students of Jefferson Hall were plagued with a variety of strange occurrences, such as lights turning on and off by themselves and a bunch of bathroom hijinks. Toilets would flush by themselves, and one witness saw the toilet paper roll unroll itself in the empty stall next to her, which was spooky enough already. Yeah. But then the roll in her stall started to unroll itself as well. Like, I just, I don't want my toilet paper to touch the floor. That I just, that's not that's not too much to ask, ghost. You should understand, please. Leave my TP alone. And lastly, there was reportedly the sound of hundreds of marbles hitting the floor above you all at once, like someone dumping a bag of marbles and letting them roll down the hall. I don't like that. I think that would actually freak me out a lot. Which, in and of itself, is really weird. And it's even weirder because apparently the same thing happens in nearby Bush Hall as well. Like okay. the marble phenomenon is is available in two of their residential halls. I make it seem as if like it's a selling point. Yeah, <laughs> it's you available too. in two of their residential halls. You too can get freaked out by this un like unhappy noise happening above your head while you're trying to sleep. In addition to the marble showers, Bush Hall also experiences lights turning on and off by themselves and other plumbing adventures like the water faucets seeming to have a mind of their own. <laughs> Washington Hall, named after, surprise, surprise, George Washington, uh, is also said to be haunted by an entire basketball team. There's so many members of the uh, the Hamilton cast featured in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where these come from. <laughs> As the legend goes, after a high school girls basketball team visited the university for basketball camp, they were all killed in a bus accident on the way home. Oh, sad. However, apparently they just had the time of their lives at this basketball camp because all of their ghosts ended up taking residence in the hall after their death. Reportedly, you can hear the bouncing of basketballs and the girls' laughter, and they are said to primarily hang out in the hallway that uh, over the arc that connects Washington Hall and Reed Hall. I could handle the laughing and the um, bouncing of the basketball. I mean, Not I think it would still in marbles. I think it would creep me out. Yeah. But I, I could handle it as long as it's not the squeak of the like basketball tennis shoes. I can't stand that noise. Yeah. I think then that, I thought you were going to say, like, imply that it was scary, but yeah, it's just pure annoyance. Yep. Exactly. Not far from Washington Hall on the East Green, you will find a Chivalry Hall. Built in 1956, this residential hall is said to be home of one female student in the 1970s who practiced occult rituals in the nearby Hanning Cemetery. Of course. Satanic panic time. Mm-hmm. And hashtag fun fact. Hanning Cemetery is one of five cemeteries, Sims, Hanning, uh, Cuckler, Higgins, and Zion, that allegedly form a pentagram when you're drawing a line between them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So clearly this was a great place for occult rituals. Uh, But after these alleged activities, when she returned back to her dorm, she began to experience a number of eerie things. Most notably, an overwhelming feeling of being pulled to the Northeast, which is where Hanning Cemetery resides, as if something was calling her back. Ooh. Okay. Okay. On the South Green, you will find Crawford Hall. This four-story residence hall was built in 1967 and is said to be haunted by the spirit of a student named Laura. In 1993, Laura, an RA for Crawford Hall, fell to her death during Easter weekend from the fourth-story window. From a fourth-story window, not the. Yeah. Yeah. Not long after Laura's death, things in Crawford Hall got a little bit spooky. Lights began to flicker on and off, and doors would slam shut and then open again. 
And one RA located on the first floor near where Laura landed after her fall was allegedly woken up one night by a shadowy image of a girl in his doorway. Uh, The girl said, I'm sorry, I've woken you, and then closed the door. Polite. Yeah. When the RA went out into the hall, no one was there. On the west side of the campus, you will find the aptly named West Green. As I said in last week's episode, this is where you will find the Dining Hall, Academic and Research Center, as well as other sporting locations, which I don't think I need to read again. Uh, and then be accused of not knowing them only because I have them written down. <laughs> anyway, the buildings surrounding the West Green are said to be haunted due to the stereotypical and harmful legend of being built on top of a Native American burial ground, as well as as well as being haunted by a headless buffalo named Stroud. Because if you were going to name a headless buffalo anything, why would you not name it Stroud? Stroud, obviously. Uh, per OhioExploration.com, quote, a ghostly buffalo has been seen drinking from the stream at Stroud's Run. The buffalo later named Stroud was the last wild buffalo in the area. A law was passed that stated no one could kill Stroud, but some members of either the British or French army killed the buffalo anyway. Locals then murdered those responsible while they were sleeping at their camp, and then one local took the buffalo's skull, hid the army's money in it, and buried it nearby. And that's animal activism. Yeah, the skull nor the buried treasure have ever been found, unquote. They're like, okay, uh, you're going to fuck with our creatures? We're going to fuck with you harder. <laughs> you murdered. Whatever. All it, of you. It's, the, it's literally the rule of three. You do something, it's going to come back at you threefold. Three, yep, yep. It's just what happens. Be nice to Buffalo. One of the residential halls located on the West Green is Wilson Hall, named after Hiram Roy Wilson, a 49-year faculty member of Ohio University who retired in 1945. They are not featured in the musical Hamilton. <laughs> no no Hiram in that? No, no Hiram. Uh, this building is allegedly at the center of the cemetery pentagram that I oh, mentioned earlier. Okay. And is said to be one of the most haunted buildings found on campus. In addition to being built on or near the alleged Native American burial ground, it's also said to have been built on top of one of the state hospital cemetery, or I guess otherwise known as a white people's burial ground. I can only assume it's doubly haunted. Yeah. Most of the paranormal activity in Wilson Hall is said to center around the fourth floor, where students have reported seeing apparitions roaming in its halls, hearing voices and unexplained banging, and footsteps as well as experience mysterious slamming doors, objects flying off the walls, and furniture being rearranged. (laughs) People throughout the building report feeling cold spots, and some say that the face of a demon will sometimes appear in the wood grain of the door in dorm room 428, where a girl, believed to be possessed, unalived herself. That's not haunting. That's just sleep deprivation. Important thing, when you go to college, like, studying's important, partying is important, but so is sleep. Well, allegedly, it caused such an issue that the university closed this room to students, and it's now only used for storage. Oh, shit. Okay. Another particularly haunted building on the West Green is that of the Convocation Center, a.k.a. the Convo. Convocation. I didn't look it up. But yeah, Convocation. Can I look it up? Yeah, let's do it. Convocation is a large formal assembly of people or the action of calling people together for a large... So it's obvious it's an assembly hall. Okay, 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 okay. that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, this mixed-use building opened in the spring of 1968 and houses not only a variety of sports programs, but also a residential hall. Okay. It also, I believe, is where their graduation happens. A convocation of people graduating. The convo is said to be haunted by several ghosts. One is a former convo RA who was killed by her boyfriend. Mm. No one could see the face I was making, but it was unhappy. According to local lore, she continues to walk the halls to this day, making sure that the students are safe. Oh. Another apparition is that of a student who died while sleeping. No other information about how it happened. Sometimes that happens. But she is said to embrace any student who sleeps on the bed where she died. Oh. 
which is both cute, but also I think maybe they should close that room too. <laughs> if you're willing to cl- close one room for storage, maybe also close the one of the person embracing Any the living stoop. that are trying to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And the other ghost that you will likely hear about is one that likes to open and close the closet doors frequently, as well as just throw things out of the closets. Ah, yes. The peeves of the group. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. And lastly, I have a couple of Greek life houses. The first is the Alpha Omicron Pie House. Once Alpha Omicron. Yeah. One's the uh, Zeta Tau Delta House. And Zeta the- Tau Delta. Tau Delta. Tau. Zeta Tau Delta. <laughs> and then late, later, the Sigma New House. Sigma New. I just feel like every time you say something, oh, you gotta say fra- something you gotta ridiculous. say it in like in. in, in Emphasis. Emphasis. <laughs> Gotta say it like a frat boy. Yep, exactly. Uh, but prior to that, when the house was a private residence, it was once a stop on the Underground Railroad. Oh, okay. During that time, some of the townspeople discovered what the home was being used for. They didn't like it, so they stormed the house, and they killed one of the enslaved men who had been hiding out there, and his name was uh, Nicodemus. He now is said to haunt the house frequently. Um, a lot of what he does apparently is turn lights on and off, um, turn the Xbox off for the frats. But there was a weird point in history where he was like super, super active for some reason. And this is between 1972 and 1973 when the uh, Zeta Tau Alpha sisters experienced a lot of strange phenomenon in the house, specifically do- during those two years. Maybe there was just a person there that he vibed with. You know how there are people more open and, you know. He was trying to talk to him. Like he, he, maybe there was somebody there that he was like, I could maybe reach this person. So that's why he was trying to be more active. Well, the sisters of Zeta Tau Alpha heard things like whining and scratching noises coming from a closet that appeared to have a sealed off passage. Doors would fly open and some of the girls even claimed to feel... Nicodemus touched them. Okay. Gross. And lastly, the Delta Tau Delta house. Delta Tau Delta? Uh Uh-huh. Delta Tau Delta. (laughs) I was waiting. (laughs) No, I know. I was trying to make sure. I was like, did I? Because I said Tai the last time you said Tau, and I wanted to make sure I said it right. Delta Tau Delta. Uh, Which was allegedly plagued by a strange poltergeist, or uh, strange poltergeist activity when some of the fraternity brothers stole a tombstone from Sim Cemetery. Don't fuck with people's tombstones. Uh-huh. And then they kept it in the house as a souvenir. However, once the tombstone was returned to the cemetery, the activity ceased. No wonder why. I know. Crazy. Um, and that is the part two of my Ohio University Athens campus haunting. Okay, so what I have learned... Athens, Ohio is super haunted. Athens uh, campus, super haunted. You know, some places make you stay your first year in the dorms. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe see if you can get that waived and get an off, <laughs> off-campus apartment. If you can afford it, do it. No, Kayla, all of Athens is super haunted. Are you going to give me more Athens stuff later? You know, I was thinking about doing a three-part episode, but then I just really want to switch topics. You can come back to it I'll later. I'll come back we to it. We do that all the time. Yeah, I'll come. Yeah, today, yep. for instance. Exactly. Episode 7, episode 124, you know, in case you missed it the first time. Okay, so maybe don't get an off-campus apartment. Maybe just pick a different Ohio University campus. <laughs> no hate to Athens. I mean, if you're into the spooky vibes like we are, maybe that's what you want. I just don't think it's going to be very conducive to a good study schedule. I mean, yeah, except for they have, like, that really cool, like, art deco movie theater and a bunch of art museums and institutes. I'm not saying it's not cool. All I'm the just sports saying. you could ever think of <laughs> that I will not name right now because I obviously remember what all of them are, but I don't need to prove myself to you people. <laughs> Basketball and track and field. Volleyball, softball, probably football, you know, (laughs) the one with the balls. On a skeptic scale, 
Uh-huh. I'm going to give this a four. That is legit. Because consistency in stories and the fact that so many areas are haunted, but haunted differently. Yes. Yes. And the campus is huge. Dude, oh, it's ugh. huge. Like I said, just, you know, if you're if you're a scaredy cat, maybe don't go to pick a Ohio different campus. University Athens. Mhm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise maybe you'll you'll catch a ghost that throws things out of your closet Lots. or or cuddles you in your sleep. <laughs> Lots of grad parties happening right now. If any of uh, recent grads are listeners and you've been recently accepted to Ohio University, Athens campus, keep just, you don't need to say that we are the reason you relocated, but maybe (laughs) relocate. No, go and then tell us all your stories. (laughs) Take take one for the team. Speaking of stories, if you happen to have a paranormal story you would like to share with us, you can do so by emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the Listener Stories tab at the top of the page. You can also click the link tree in our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whatever you are the most comfortable with. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Left of Skeptic and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to let you get back to taking care of your husband. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to go do more yard work. Have fun. You too. Thank you. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us this Spooky Wednesday. We love you and appreciate you very much. It's true. We do. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay, Okay. bye. The Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc. And our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye.